But we've been looking at Colossians. And what is this book that we've been looking at? So we call it a book. And I'm going to put my phone up here just so I can keep track of time for your sake. We call it a book. What is it really? What is it really? It's a letter. Okay, so this is a letter. This is Paul writing this letter to the believers in Colossae, but it wasn't intended just for Colossae. We'll see at the end of the book, it's to go to the churches of Laodicea or the church in Laodicea as well. But it's a letter. How do you typically read a letter? You don't read it through and say, boy, page one and two was really good, but I'm going to read three and four later on. I'll catch up to it sometime later. You read the whole letter. You want to know what's in there. When Jenny and I were in college, she was at Liberty University in Virginia. I was at Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania. She'd send me letters, and she wrote some really, really long, really good letters. I wrote short, typically guy letters. She used to make fun of me. She probably still would, and you might still after this. I'd sit there with a dictionary sometimes beside her letters because she, she writes far more flowery than I do. Um, so I'd have to, you know, occasionally look up a word, and I didn't tell her that till long after we'd been married, that, yeah, I sat there with a dictionary. I loved her letters, so I didn't take her letters, though, you know, get out of class, go back and get my mail, and then go back to my room. I didn't look at it and be like, page one was really good. Uh, maybe I'll read two and three later on, maybe. No, I read the whole thing, and that's how we need to understand Colossians as well. It's a letter. It's awfully hard to look at the two verses we're going to look at this morning without keeping in mind the context of everything that's come before it. These two verses, because we're just looking at two this morning, they don't mean as much and they can get taken so out of context if you don't understand what happened before. What was Paul trying to say as the main theme of this whole letter? What comes before this? What comes immediately before this? But what's an overarching theme of this letter? So there's two things that we're going to look at. As a way of introduction, our introduction will be a little bit longer than, than typical, but it helps us lay a framework and a foundation that we need to have to understand these verses so we don't take them out of context. Because too often that happens with verses like this, where we talk about husbands and wives, or anytime you get specific like that, it's easy to take things out of context to teach what you want to teach with it. So we want to avoid that. Two things we need to understand and remember is the preeminence of Christ. He's preeminent over all things. That's a major overarching theme of the book of Colossians. We also need to remember that we have the new life of Christ within us. So the preeminence of Christ and the new life of Christ within us. We don't look like our old selves. We don't look like the world anymore. We have that life of Christ within us that ought to be seen in everything. That's an important thing that we need to remember as we're coming to these verses talking about marriage. I've got to catch up with my slides. So how about the state of marriage in America today? We feel like that's in a good place? Not really. Uh, what did we traditionally, what have we traditionally heard about marriage? That one, one out of every two marriages was going to end in divorce, so 50-50. That's what we've traditionally heard. I did a little bit more research on that this week and found that it's not quite that bad anymore. It's at 40%, so yeah, 10% better. Uh, they also did say, though, that perhaps one reason why it's at 40% now is because a lot of people are choosing just to not get married. They're just going to live together. And if they're just living together, then that means you know, it's not as messy when it doesn't work out. You don't have all the legal stuff to try to work through. 
uh, some people are living together. And those who are getting married are thinking through it a little bit differently. So that's a positive thing. They're staying married. So 40%. That's still not a good number. That's still not good at all. How about within the church? We have also heard there at times that it's 50-50. So 50% of the marriages are not going to last within the church. I found that it was about one-third as I was continuing to do some research. So a third. That's still terrible. That shouldn't be that way, that it's a third of marriages don't last. So what's the problem? Is the problem marriage? Problem's not marriage. Marriage is established by God in the book of Genesis. We see that repeated all throughout Scripture. We see it then repeated as we look at Colossians and Ephesians. Ephesians will be a very helpful parallel passage for us today. And it's established by God. What God establishes is always good. It's always right because God is holy, good, and loving. We're going to see that show up a few times. God's holy, good, and loving. So his plan is always good. It's always right. It's always timeless. It doesn't change because he does not change. So the problem isn't marriage. The problem is always and always will be us. It's the people that are coming into those marriages. We are the problem. We are the part that doesn't work out well because we are sinners. We may be redeemed sinners, but we still battle with the flesh. We still fight the flesh every single day, striving to be more like Christ in everything we think, we say, and we do. But we are always going to be the problem. We always have to look at ourselves. We can't blame our spouse. can't blame somebody else. We always have to look at ourselves first. That's what we can change So as we come to a passage like this, as we come to these two verses, just two, only two verses, we've got to remember those two important truths that we talked about at the beginning here. So the preeminence of Christ and the new life of Christ within us. So we've got to flesh that out just a little bit so that we can better understand what does that mean, the preeminence of Christ, and what does that look like, the new life of Christ within us. So the preeminence of Christ, go over to Colossians 1. 15 through 20. We talked about this a while ago. So as I've been able to work through this this series, it's taken us a bit to get to where we are, but we went through this several months ago. So Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I'll read that for you. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is the authority, the grounds and the authority for God establishing his plan and his purpose for marriage. He is preeminent over all things. He's the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature we read later on. Creator of all things. John 1 reminds us that nothing was made that Jesus was not a part of, that Christ was not a part of. It wasn't made without him. He's the head of the body, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he might be preeminent in all things. All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily, and he's reconciling all things to himself. 
So there's the irrefutable proof, the authority that Christ has to set his plan and purpose and his structure for marriage because he is pre preeminent over all things. This is his plan. This is his purpose. It's not something that Paul, a single guy sitting in a prison cell far away from reality, came up with on his own. Paul didn't just make this up and think, okay, this sounds like a really good idea. Let's just, hey guys, here's your new plan for marriage and family. Paul didn't make this up. This is God's plan. This is his purpose. He set this. We spoke in Lighthouse Kids last week about how God related to his people of Israel. He is holy, good, and loving. God's still holy, good, and loving today. And his plan for marriage, his plan for family, is holy, good, and loving because he set that plan. God does not change. He didn't set this plan, and then all of a sudden we have our society today pop up, and he's wondering, well, now what do we do? This was his plan from the beginning. He set this plan. He doesn't change. We can hold on to this plan because God is always right. He's always good. He's preeminent over all things, and we can trust him, and we can hold on to this. It doesn't change with trends, cultures, times. It is eternal because God set this plan. So we can hold on to that. We need to remember that then the preeminence of Christ over all things, including our marriage, including our family. So that was the first thing. Second thing we got to remember is that we are bearing the image of Christ in all things, at all times, in all circumstances. Turn over to Colossians 3, and we're going to look at 12 through 17. This is the set of verses immediately preceding the verses we're going to look at this morning. So if these are the verses directly before it, I think it's pretty important then for where we're going to go with the next two. So this is the new life of Christ that is in you. What does that look like? What does that new life of Christ within you look like, how it's lived out? Well, let's read that. This is chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who we are in Christ. We're holy and beloved. Here's what we're to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the new life of Christ. That's what that's to look like in us. We are to look like him in all things, at all times, in all circumstances. We're putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other in the same way that Christ forgave us. How often do we do that, forgive in the same way that Christ forgave us? That's what we should be following. That's the model that we are looking to. This life of Christ coming through us ought to look more and more like that 
every single day. Thank goodness it's, it's a sanctification process. It doesn't happen just instantly. If it was supposed to happen just instantly, I don't know that most of us carry that on and reflect that very well. But we're learning to. Every day ought to look a little bit closer to what Jesus looked like here on earth and this pattern that we have set for us here in Colossians and elsewhere in scripture that's the model for us to follow that's what we should be looking like letting the word of God dwell in us richly then that comes out in our thankfulness in our teaching one another our admonishing one another our singing songs of thankfulness and praise to the Lord overflowing with a heart of thankfulness to God We have to remember the preeminence of Christ, and we have to remember that we have this Christ-likeness that is to be lived out through us, a family resemblance, you can say. We're to look like Christ. This isn't a passive thing. This has to be done on purpose. This is active, daily drawing nearer to him, finding our our fulfillment, finding uh, all of us within within Christ, within his word. All right, so there we have the authority for marriage and family found in the preeminence of Christ. And there we also have the model to be followed in the life of Christ. So keep those two things in mind. You got to hold on to those two things tightly as we come to these verses. The preeminence of Christ. He's over all things. He can set the plan and agenda for our marriages and for our family because he's God. We have to then bear that life of Christ out through, our, through us every day, being sanctified, being set apart a little bit more, a little bit more like him and how we live our lives personally, but then that flows into everything else. If this is your heart, if this is your goal to see Christ as preeminent over all things and live out that life of Christ, then I'm guessing your marriage is already in a fairly decent spot. There's room for all of us to improve. There's room for all of us to grow. But if that's your heart already, I think you're in a fairly good place then to hear these verses that are going to come next. What we're not going to do this morning is I'm not going to have all the answers for all the little details of your marriage. There's lots of really good marriage conferences for that sort of thing. But what we do is we have a grounds now for where we can go back to, to start. And that starts with us. That starts with recognizing the authority of Christ and recognizing the work that he's doing in us and through us. That's where it has to go back to. I'm not going to fix all your problems this morning. Um, Wives, I can't, help, I can't help your husband complete that project that he's been needing to do for a long time. If, he's, if he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. You don't have to nag him every six months about it. He's going to get it done. So we can't solve those. But here we go. We are going to talk about what does that look like to bear the family resemblance of Christ as a wife? What does that look like? How do you bear that family resemblance? Verse 18 of Colossians 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. How many of you asked for marriage advice at your wedding? Anybody ask for marriage advice? Okay, we did. And we had people write it down. Thankfully, we had them write it down on a little card. Because if you don't have them write it down on a little card, then you got people with a microphone and it can get real weird. But they wrote it down on a card and they put it in. We had a little basket for that sort of thing. And I remember very clearly... We had one couple, Jenny's youth leaders from her home church up in Spruce Head, Dick and Janice. Love Dick and Janice. He's an old fisherman. Um, She's just everybody's grandmother kind of person. So love Dick and Janice. Awesome couple. 
they gave us some kind of funny advice, and they gave us some other advice later on too, but they said, in the event of an argument, and they also paired this advice with a cast iron skillet for Jenny. They said, in the event of an argument, Kevin, run fast. Jenny, aim high. <laughs> so you know, what, you know what the skillet was for. I used that skillet this morning to cook breakfast. It was not used for the, the intended purpose that they gave her that for. Uh, so funny advice. Um, again, they did give us some other real useful marriage advice later on. And they gave us good marriage advice just in the marriage that they have and being able to see their life. Not perfect, but they gave us a good example to be able to see there as well. But what doesn't show up often in that marriage advice, uh, not too often anyways, I'm sure it shows up occasionally, is the word submit and submission. We don't like that word. It's one of those words that's not terribly PC anymore. We don't like the idea of submission, and yet here it is. It's the very first thing that we're coming to. Paul's addressing wives. I think he's addressing the wives first because they're listening the best. I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe not. But he's addressing the wives first, and the first thing he says here is submit. So submission. We don't like the idea of submission. We want to be in control. We want to be able to change things and shape things. We don't want to be told, here's what you will do. You must do this. You are, you are submitting because here's who you are. You are the wife. You must submit. We don't like that. It doesn't matter whether we're in the church or outside the church. The idea of submission just doesn't always sit super well. So what's Paul actually saying here? He's not saying the man is so far superior over the woman that she must submit. What it is, is he's recognizing a rank and role. It's a military term that's being used. Just like you would have in the military, you have the sergeant and you have the private. So the sergeant and the private very well could be the same age. Maybe the private's even older than the sergeant. So, okay, they're similar there. They could be from the same town, same education level, whatever. But here they are, they've got different ranks and different roles, and then there has to be a respect level given because of the rank and role. It doesn't make the sergeant better of a person than the private. It doesn't make the private any less of a person than the sergeant. So Paul is saying here that it's not a greater than, it's a different role. You're serving a different purpose. If you're not talking about it in a military use, here is the, here's the explanation. It's a voluntary attitude of submission. So it's voluntary, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. Isn't that what you do, moms? Don't you carry a burden? You carry a burden differently as wife and as mom than we do as husbands and fathers. Just because we're wired differently, we're not the same. We carry things differently. Even if, as a husband, you do a really good job of helping care for things around the home and care for the family, it's just different for you. So wives carry that differently. God created you to be who you are, to carry it in this way. He created this framework, and it's a good framework. We don't always like hearing that word submission, though. But this is God's framework, and we have to remember that. This is God's framework as is fitting in the Lord. So not greater than, not less than, it's just a recognition of role. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 is helpful for us. And again, this is going to be a parallel passage all the way through. As we're talking this morning, we're going to use Ephesians to help explain Colossians because Paul is talking to a different church, different people, different place. 
same purpose, same goal, same plan, same process, same God. So this is God's plan. He's just more flowery in Ephesians than he is in Colossians. So it's going to really help us understand these two verses in Colossians by what Paul gives us in Ephesians 5. So here's what he says in 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul's not re-emphasizing here some male dominance or superiority. He's saying this is the rank, this is the role, this is how God leads his church. This is the same way that that's the function within the family. Now, who is the husband supposed to follow? Christ. Who is the wife to follow? Christ. We're both looking to Christ. But God set this pattern within marriage that the husband is the head of the wife. We are to, the wife is to submit to the husband, but it's fitting in the Lord. It's fitting in the Lord because this is God's framework. If it was man's framework, we'd mess that all up. This is God's framework. This wasn't set by a group of guys sitting around a table with cigars thinking, what are we going to do next? How are we going to make this work? This is God setting this plan. And if God's setting this plan, then it's right and it's good not to be reinterpreted, not to be reworked. And this is another example of why we have to be exclusively people of God's word. Because what would the world have you do with this? They'd have you say marriage is outdated, you don't need marriage anymore, get into society and catch up with where everybody else is at. That's what the world would have you do. But we're not in the world, not of the world, we're in the world, we're not of the world. That's what Jesus is saying in chapter 17 of the book of John. We call that the high priestly prayer. He's talking to God the Father, and he says, Lord, he's talking to the Father, he says, Father, they're in the world, they're not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. We're set apart by the word of God. We are in the world. We're not of the world. Our lives are governed by the word of God exclusively. Not by the world, not by its standards, not by its trends. Exclusively by the word of God. His word does not change. And when we try to divorce pieces of our lives from the truth of the word of God, then it's no wonder that those things start to fall apart. We're to be exclusively people of God's word because his plan is always right and his plan is always good. And his plan for marriage as it relates to the wife is always right and it's always good because that's who he is. So wives, how do you do this? How do you... Submit to your husband. How do you submit to him? How do you respect him? When we look again at Ephesians, it'll talk about respect, submission and respect. So we can put those two things together. How do you respect your husband? You do that by loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You seek to be more like Christ every single day. If you are like Christ, seeking to be more like him every single day, seeing and recognizing the preeminence of Christ, and then you are respecting your husband, you're you're submitting to your husband, then you're going to be amazed at what God's doing in your marriage. Does he reflect that same life of Christ? Maybe not. But it doesn't negate what your responsibility is as set forth by God, is to submit, to respect your husband. 
when you follow Christ, recognizing his preeminence, seeking every single day to bear that family resemblance, looking to be more and more like Christ in everything you think, you say, you do, in all circumstances, at all times, you're going to be amazed at what God does in your marriage. You're going to be amazed at what he does in you and then through you. So how about the family resemblance as a husband? What should that look like? Let's take a look at verse 19 of Colossians chapter 3. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. So Jenny and I like to watch the Antiques Roadshow, but the British Antiques Roadshow. Um, the Antiques Roadshow is cool enough on its own, but the British version is just cooler because the accents are cooler. And occasionally, we've seen it show up a few different times, there are models of ships that show up like that. So those, I don't know when this one was made, but uh, I saw one very similar to that on the Antiques Roadshow that was made in the 1700s, made by prisoners of war. So they made this as they had free time, as they found it. They're on the ship, probably forced into some, some responsibility. But there they are on the ship, and they then made this out of scavenged materials. So in the one that we were watching, they made the hull. It was made out of bone, so maybe cow, so who knows. But it was made out of bone, and all the little pieces were just scavenged. They just found the pieces, found the tools, and they made this. It's awfully hard to really appreciate the intricate work that's there. Just looking at the picture, as you can see on the screen, uh, you can look this up for yourself. And there's incredible detail, immaculate work made by prisoners of war in less than ideal circumstances on a boat that is rocking and rolling on the waves. And yet they did that. That's incredible. They had a model to follow, the same sailing ship that they were on. They could follow that model. We like models to follow. Guys, how many of us like to see on the box what something's supposed to look like? We like to have a model to follow. And if we can put the thing together just like it looks like on the box, then perfect. I didn't even need to read the directions anyways. What do I need those for? And if it doesn't turn out like the picture on the front of the box, then it was a manufacturing defect. Somebody else's problem. All right, we like to have a model to follow. We want to be able to see what can I work towards. We have a model to follow. We have a pattern. That's God's plan. That's God's pattern for marriage. So verse 19, love your wives. There's a whole lot packed into that tiny little word love. There's a lot there. So Ephesians is going to help us to understand that a little bit better. So Ephesians 5, but we're going to go starting in verse 25. It says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's our parallel passage there again. That just got a whole lot more intense for us guys than just love your wife. Okay? I think I can handle love my wife, but love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's a whole other level of intense there at that point. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? How did he do that? He set her apart as holy gave himself that he might sanctify her as a church, set her apart as holy, as a spotless and blameless sacrifice before God, offering to God. 
And there's nothing more selfless than that kind of love. Giving himself, sanctifying her, setting her apart as holy, presenting her blameless and spotless to the Lord. How do we do that then in our marriages, guys? How do we reflect that same kind of love that Christ had for the church? How do we love our wives that way? If you have that kind of love in your marriage, that is an example of this. Fantastic. If you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church, why not? What's keeping you from doing that? That's our pattern to follow. And this isn't Paul, again, creating some kind of idealistic goals for marriage. He's, he's not, again, he's not just sitting there in that isolated cell all by himself thinking, this ought to work well. No, this is God speaking to him directly, the Holy Spirit working through him, directing him on what he's to write. These are God's words. This is God setting his plan for marriage. That's a huge challenge for us guys. To love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, as much as it's hard for you to wrap your brain around at times the idea of submission to your husband, that might be easier for some of you than others. Some of you, that's a really hard idea to think about submitting to your husband in this way, respecting him in this way. It's equally hard for us as guys to think about loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Again, I can, I can love my wife. But to do that as Christ loved the church just takes that up another 10 levels. That is so much harder. That's harder because I know that's always going to war against my flesh. That's always going to fight against me. Yes, I've been sanctified. I've been set apart. I've been redeemed. But I still battle this flesh, and someday I'll be in the presence of the Lord, and I won't have to battle this flesh anymore. Until then, my flesh is always going to want to be selfish. It's always going to fight for my own rights. Here's what I want. Here's what I deserve. Here's what I should have. And guys, we're really good at being selfish in that way. It's just how we are. Some of us have done a, some of you have done a better job of conquering that than others, but it's always going to be a battle. It's always going to be a fight. We always have to fight against wanting our own rights because when we're in Christ, we gave those up. We gave up our rights to ourselves. In 1 Corinthians, 6, 19 through 20. It talks about how we are not our own. We were bought with a price. That price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're to glorify God in our bodies. This is not about you. This is not about your rights and what you can get out of this. This is all about Christ. So how do we love our wives with a self-denying, Christ-exalting, God-honoring love? We'll go back to Ephesians for a moment. What are we supposed to do? Love our wives as Christ loved the church. In the same way husbands love your wives as your own bodies. How did Christ love the church? He, what did he do? He sanctified her, cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He might be holy and without blemish. What a challenge. That's hard. But we can do that because he's working in us. He's working through us. We're to be reflecting his life coming through us then in our marriage. We can present our wives to the Lord as washed in the water of the word as we bring them each day 
to the Lord in prayer, as we come alongside our wife, as we study God's word together, whatever that looks like in your marriage, every family's different, every couple's different. Coming together in the word of God and presenting her, presenting your marriage to the Lord, saying this is a sanctified offering to you. That's hard. That's always going to take a lot of hard work. So take a look at your morning. Let's just start with your morning. Not, not all of your marriage, not this past week, not even the, the whole weekend, just your morning. Does just your morning and your marriage look anything like this pattern that's been set forth for us? It might. It might not. There's lots and lots of room for improvement, even for the best couple that's, that's listening in or here with us this morning. Okay, so maybe you're thinking, all right, so that's great, but she's hard to love. You know, how am I supposed to love her when she's hard to love? And you're thinking it, guys. You're never going to say this out loud because you know better than that. You know that she got a cast iron skillet at your wedding, and she knows where it is. Okay, so you're not going to say it out loud, but you might be thinking it to yourself. But when we do that, when we think those things, often that becomes a reality in our head. Even if we know it's not true, it's like telling a lie. If you tell a lie long enough, eventually even you begin to believe it, and you think it's truth. So you can't live there. You can't live with, but she's hard to love. Maybe, but that doesn't negate your responsibility to love her. Because when you stop loving her, that's harsh. That's being harsh with your wife. The rest of verse 19 says, don't be harsh with them. That's, that's harsh. Treating her like just one of the guys. Not treating her and living with her in an understanding way is what 1 Peter 3.7 talks about. Husbands, you're to live with your wives in an understanding way. We're to live with our wives in an understanding way and love them. And Peter even goes so far as to say that that's why some of your prayers aren't being answered. It's because you're not treating your wives well. You're not living with them in an understanding way. You're not loving them as you should. And that's harsh. I'm not saying that's why our prayers this morning aren't being answered. But they were in Peter's case as he's talking to that particular audience. Love your wives. When you don't love them, that's harsh because they need that love. Guys, we need respect. We need respect. They need love. We see that at the end of Ephesians 5 and verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. She needs love. You need respect. Love and Respect is a great marriage book that I would encourage anybody to read, regardless of whether um, marriage is on the horizon or it's you've been married for 50 years. It's just a great book to refresh those things that you know to be true or for those who are getting married soon, bring some things <clears throat> to mind that you're going to need to know and you're going to want to remember based off of this passage, based off of this Ephesians passage. His love motivates <clears throat> her respect and her respect motivates his love. You are to love your wife. She needs that. That's an important thing to her. Don't be harsh with her. So how do we do this, husbands? How do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? That's a challenge. We do that by loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daily seeking to be more like Christ, to reflect him, to bear his image within our marriage, first within ourselves, first drawing near to Christ, then seeing that overflow into our marriage. When you are loving Christ first and most, that's the most loving thing you can do for her. 
And when you're loving him, then you're going to know how to love her. And even if that's a hard thing for you to start, you're going to be amazed at what God does through that as you're faithful to do what he has asked and called and commanded you to do within your marriage. So how do we do this marriage thing as a God-honoring, Christ-exalting couple? In this age where marriage really isn't held up well, not too many people want to be getting married, and then we see it falling apart all the time. Celebrities, pastors, football players, whoever it is, their marriage is falling apart. How do we do this? How do we see this still work? Because marriage is God's plan, and it still works. Because God's plan is always good. It's always right. It will never change. We do that. First, individually, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and seeking to bear the family resemblance to Christ individually, as a wife, as a husband, bearing first the image of Christ within us, and then we're going to see that overflow then into our marriage. If she is seeking every single day to be more like Christ, all those things we talked about in Colossians 3, That whole list of things right there. I'm not going to reread all of it for you again, but you can. That whole list of the life of Christ lived out within you. If she's seeking to look like that, that's a whole lot easier to love. Wives, if he is seeking to look like this, to look more like Christ as is laid out right here, that's a whole lot easier to respect. Seek to be more like Christ in all things and always at all times in all circumstances. You bear the family resemblance. I wanted to end this sermon with the example of the perfect couple. So here we have a couple, perhaps a picture taken a few years ago. Um, So here's one example. A couple that had been married for 75 years. So a good long time. They got married very young. They had six kids. They never fought. They always agreed. They were always in church. Anytime the doors were open, they were at church. Sometimes they'd show up and it was just somebody cleaning the building, but they were there. They showed up to church every time the doors were open. They always agreed. They were always faithful to each other. They never let each other down. They lived to the ages of 105 and 103 and passed away peacefully in each other's arms. That couple doesn't exist. They do. I don't know who they are. There's not a perfect couple. There is no perfect model to be able to follow. And we have some excellent examples within this church. We have some awesome examples of good, godly marriages. Good patterns that I'd be willing to follow. But nobody's perfect. There are no perfect marriages because they're made up of two broken people. Redeemed by grace. Brought together in Christ. Becoming one but they are daily needing to fall at the feet of Jesus, bring their lives to him, daily bringing their marriage to him, seeking to be more like Christ in every aspect, in every way, in every circumstance. As a wife, if that's your goal to be more like Christ, you're going to have a good marriage. Husband, if that's your goal to be more like Christ... It's going to be a good marriage. And then together, you're going to be able to bear the image of Christ. The other people are going to look at you. They're going to look at your marriage, and they're going to say, that looks like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, anytime when we are challenged to change our hearts and change ourselves, that's, that's hard. But when you've given us 
both a pattern to follow. You've given us the authority to know that it's right and it's good. And then you've given us your Holy Spirit to be able to achieve that as you've set forward for us to do. Um, and it's possible because you're, you're working in us. You're working through us. So I pray that our hearts would be open to that as we think about, first, how you're shaping and guiding us. But then as that then relates to our marriage, I pray that we can each draw closer to you, reflect you greater, reflect you more. And that I would spill over into our marriages and how we love our wives, how we love our husbands, how we see our families shaped and guided by who you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.